0: You know, as we were there worshiping, I, I, was, as I was just praying, I was thinking about, uh, you know, today we call it Resurrection Sunday. And we celebrate uh, on Easter, obviously, the resurrection of Jesus. But, you know, if you're saved, we're also celebrating your resurrection today, my resurrection today. Why? Because I was once dead, and I'm thankful that I'm alive today. And I don't mean in a physical sense, but I do mean in my heart and in my spirit, man. The Bible says that I was separated from God. And that's why Christ came. He came so that what? We could have a resurrection of our own. And so I just want to encourage you this morning to consider that and to think about that. Is that yes, we want to celebrate and yes, the Easter Bunny has nothing to do with it. But yet, it's fun and festivities, right? It gives our kids something to do and to look forward to, yes. But we, you ought to take a moment today and to think about your resurrection. To think about that moment that you came in contact with the grace of God for the first time. Why? Because that was your moment of resurrection. Is that Jesus didn't just raise one time and that was the end of the story. That was just the beginning of the story. That was the beginning of our story. And so that's why we celebrate and that's why we get excited in worship and we get excited. Why? Because God has done something in my life. Like there's reality to it. It's not just, uh, you know, something else that I've added to my life. My life has been radically changed. And, uh, you know, and and so that's why we celebrate today. So I would encourage you, even as you get home today and kind of get away from everybody else, and it may even be tonight before you make it there, but to take some time and and to think back. You know, this morning I want to share with you, uh, a message that I've really been stirred uh, about uh, for some time. And we I had a different title, but the powers that be didn't like it. And so we've renamed it. And I won't say who the powers that be are, but uh, they can't tell me what to preach, but they can't tell me that title's terrible. And uh, so... Uh, amen, right? And uh, So our our theme this year has been no filter. And I'm going to explain what that means because I'm sure some of you are probably like, what in the world does that mean? I don't know what that means. You'll understand by the time that we're out today, hopefully. And uh, But you can turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 23. And uh, we're going to uh, look at some things this morning and I want to sh- uh, just uh, share some things with you, but... Uh, You know, so many times, even when we look at the story of Jesus and we think about, you know, his death, burial, resurrection, we just kind of make him the central focus. Why? Because he is the central focus of the story. But, you know, there were a lot of people who were involved in the story besides him. And if we'll look at the people that surround what we really celebrate this weekend, we can actually, I believe, learn a lot. And there's an account here in Luke chapter 23, and it's actually, uh, we're not going to look at a, a lot of, scripture this morning, we are going to look at one specific passage uh, of verses here. And, um, you know, because it entails three people. It's not just Jesus, it's actually His time hanging on the cross. So I'm not even going to talk about what was accomplished through His death, His bear, all those things, although those are incredible. And they have amazing truth in them. This morning, I want to focus on this moment right before Jesus Dies and sheds his, he was shedding his blood, but right before he dies. We have an interaction here in Luke 23. If you don't have a Bible, the the, uh, scriptures will be up on the screen. But starting in verse 32, we're going to read the passage and then I'm going to share some about it. It starts off, and we're kind of starting jumping in midway, but it's okay for the sake of time. I'm going to jump right in. In verse 32 it says, Two others, two other men, both criminals, were led out to be executed with Him. So Jesus wasn't hanging on a cross by Himself. Many times if you see something about the cross of Jesus, you see three crosses. Why? Because He was in the middle of two criminals. He was hung just like a common criminal was. It says, When they came to the place called the skull, it says, They nailed Him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, one on His right, one on His left. Jesus responds in this moment of of great pain and agony, no doubt. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't even know what they're doing. Now, to me, that's just remarkable, thinking about what all he had endured. And yet, looking at the very people that put him on that cross and says, Father, forgive them, they have no idea what's going on. And yet, he also understood that it was necessary. And yet, really, one of the last acts that we see in Jesus' life is the act of forgiveness to those who... Wounded him. Those who bruised him. Those who had beat him. And yet, he even in that moment is asking God to forgive them. Not Because in the Old Testament under the law, what if you murdered somebody, there was a penalty. And even in that, Jesus knew that what they were doing was not just. It was not right. And according to the law, those who hung him should also receive death. And yet, even in that moment, Jesus is extending grace to the very people that put him there. It goes on. And it says, so he, he asked the Lord to forgive them. And he says, the soldiers began to gamble for his clothes by throwing dice. Now that fulfilled prophecy. That moment it says they, they would gamble for his garments. In verse 35 it says, the crowd watched and the leader scoffed. So they're making fun, they're, they're insulting him. And they're saying things like, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's really God's Messiah, the chosen one. It says, the soldiers mocked him by offering him a drink of sour wine. Verse 37 says, they called out to him and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. So many of us know this picture. We, we, we kind of understand what's happening for the most part, just by virtue of where we've lived. Most of us know the story of what's happening here. And so we have this moment where Jesus is now hanging on the cross and there are people insulting him and probably more than likely spitting on him and throwing things and yelling things and all kinds of craziness is going on in this moment. So on one hand you have that crowd and on the other hand you have the crowd of mourners. You have people who are realizing what is going on and who he is and, really, and, and why did they mourn because that's where their hope was. Their hope was in Jesus to be the Savior. And yet, what they looked at as a final nail in his coffin was just the beginning of what they were actually hoping for. The problem was was that they couldn't see that. They thought, we missed it. Was he not the Messiah? Although he said, hey, in three days I will rise again. Just wait. In that moment, their hope was gone. They had hope and that hope had vanished. And so right here in the midst of all this going on, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffs and says, so you're the Messiah, are you? Now think about this. God's in agonizing pain. And he's going to probe Jesus and insult him even in that moment. I mean, that's, the, that's human nature without the life of God. He says, so you're the Messiah, are you? He says, prove it. By saving yourself and us too while you're at it. Now think about that. I mean, here's this guy who's joining in with the insults. Even in that moment right then. And he says, Jesus, if you're really the Son of God, if you're really the Messiah, free yourself. Call down angels. Get yourself off of this cross. But hey, don't forget me too. I'm a criminal. I deserve to be here. But hey, why don't you help me out? Prove that you're God, but hey, prove that you want to help me too. See, that's where a lot of people live their life. God, I'll believe in you if you do what I want. If you help me, if you fix my moment, my problem. But the problem is that's not true repentance. That's not true devotion. That's a momentary Thing that just comes and goes because you're like God, Just I mean, let's just be honest how many of us have prayed prayers and said God if you'll just help me right now I'll serve you and then two weeks later it's like <laughs> I didn't pray that what prayer i prayed them lots of times and the thing was is that there was no power in my life to do anything different as long as I prayed that kind of prayer yeah. why because I was saying God just help me out of this spot but I wasn't really ready or in a place to say God I need your Ability. And I need your grace. I need your power in my life. Because you only get power through surrender. It comes no other way. You only get the ability of God from surrendering our life. And yet, here this guy has the mentality. And so this one criminal only wants to be saved from his cross or from his consequences. See, one of the things that we can even recognize here, and I already alluded to this, is that troubles themselves... Will not make you change. Just having a rough time. Just walking through a season. And you think man. You know if the consequences were big enough. I would change. Like oh one day I'll make that adjustment. One day I'll make that change. One day I'll get serious about my relationship with the Lord. And the truth is. Probably not. People live with the idea or the thought. Is that man even you know. When I get older. I was a youth pastor for years. And so, teenagers all the time, like, oh, when I get older, I'll live for the Lord. Unfortunately, I watch some of them die not having made that decision. And knowing of their passing and wondering. I mean, that, that's the reality of the life that we live. And so we see here is that even this guy who's hanging on the cross, who's hurling his insults at Jesus, even his situation that he's in in that moment wasn't enough. I mean, he knows he's going to die. They're not taking him off of that cross until they know that he is. Even in that moment, he was still hardened and proud. He looked at Jesus just like a criminal like him. He says, look, I know that I deserve to be here. You deserve to be here. And yet there's another man in the story that we see that's quite a stark contrast in verse 40. It says, the other criminal protested and says, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? Like, you may not fear anybody else, but do you not even in this moment? Like, what's wrong with you? Don't you at least fear God? Verse 41, he says, we deserve to die for our crimes, But this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he says and looks to Jesus and says, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus responds and says, I assure you today that you will be with me in paradise. Today. You have two criminals, two guys right at the verge of death. One seals his fate and one seals his fate. Two different fates. One guy refused to acknowledge the very one who was hanging to save him. But one guy recognized it and says, I deserve this cross and I deserve this death. But I, I, I know you don't. So today, would you remember me? He didn't ask Jesus to say, he just said, hey, remember me. when you, Just be kind, be friendly. And yet Jesus takes it a step further and says, hey, today you're going to be with me in my kingdom. I won't just think about you in my kingdom. You're going to be there with me. Why? Because this man in this moment has has recognized who he is. Has recognized really the condition of his own heart. And realizes this guy can help. This guy can and, and I need help. And he recognizes even in that moment. He realized and recognized that Jesus had done nothing wrong. And yet he was there. But even in this moment, and this is just moments before Christ breathes his last breath. In the last moments of Jesus' earthly bodily existence, he extends grace and mercy to someone who did not deserve it. That's good news for me. (laughs) Why? Because God's grace is, is amazing, but I needed God's mercy. And and just as this man here, you know, and the thing that I want you to, to hear is that just as Christ upon that cross was gracious, Christ is equally as gracious and as merciful today from His throne. He was merciful and He was gracious hanging beside two criminals. But He's equally as kind and as gracious and as merciful today as He's sitting on a throne and that same grace that He extended to this criminal also extends to us. Why? Because that's the whole purpose and the reason that He came. It was to what? To lay down His life for the sake of many. But even in the, even in the contrast of these two men, I believe that there's something for us to look at ourselves and evaluate our own hearts with. And it doesn't matter if you... have If you're here this morning, you say, well, I'm not really a Christian. I don't even know if I believe all this stuff. Somebody invited me and I'm just kind of here to figure, to kind of check it out. It's all kind of weird so far. Or you may be here and you're like, man, I've been saved my whole life. I got saved at four years old. Okay. There's still something to be said, though, to you. There's still things in all of us. See, one of the things that's crucial that I see as a very stark contrast is one criminal was prideful. He was, he was proud of his crime. Hey, I deserve to be here, but hey, why don't you help me out? The other guy recognized and humbled himself and said, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need help in this moment. See, and I think that something powerful happens when we come to the place of realizing our need for God. And I mean beyond just the initial, like, Jesus be the Lord of my life. I mean like tomorrow morning. You know, resurrection life is still available on Monday morning too, just like it is Sunday morning. And in truth, you probably need it more tomorrow than you do today because you've got to deal with different kind of folks tomorrow. And so you're going to need the ability of God to function tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and whatever day it may be. But when we realize our need for God is this, and when I say our need for God, this is what I mean by that. Is that when I say that when we recognize our need is it's not an option. It's not an accessory. It's not something else that we already add to our life. That's the problem. We want to take Jesus and we want to say, okay, here's my life, but I want you to fit into what is. And yet as followers of Christ, we have to deny ourselves. Jesus doesn't become an addition to life. He becomes life. He becomes the focus, the central point, the the epicenter of our universe that we revolve around. He doesn't revolve around us. We revolve around Him. And when we live this way, it actually changes the dynamic of how we get to experience the power of God. Because when I just bring Him into my life, I'm like the other criminal who's prideful and arrogant, just saying, Jesus, come and join my life. Come and join what I'm doing. But yet, when I'm like this other gentleman, I'm humbling myself and saying, Jesus, I realize and I believe that you are who you say you are. And I believe that you will work in my life. It doesn't matter where my situation may be. It doesn't matter what my circumstances may be in this moment. I recognize that I am flawed, but I, I believe you will help me. John chapter 1 verse 4, out of the New King James Version, says this, Says in Him was life, and was the light of men. See, we talk about walking for the Lord and living for the Lord and surrendering our life, but the reality is, is that it is a life to be lived, not in ourselves, not dependent on ourselves, not uh, confident in ourselves. But now my confidence goes to the one who has saved me, paid for me, and has delivered me. And now I'm looking to live a life that is full of His ability, full of His mercy, full of His power. Why? because I can't live the way He wants me to in myself. I have to humble myself and say, Lord, I need you. See, Jesus doesn't just bring life. He is life. I mean, you know, there's several statements. There's actually seven statements where He says, I am, I am, I am. I'm the light of the world. I'm the bread of life. You know, he he, he he's really showing us who he is, and yet he even says that he is the bread. He's what sustains us and keeps us and holds us and, and uh, gives us the ability to live this life. And so Jesus has to become central in every part of our life. We don't get to pick and choose which parts he saves. But we have to be honest. And so with all of this in mind, well, let me say this. So Jesus becomes the central of everything that we do. But the question is this, and part of it is, is that when we stand before the Lord, this is the way I believe many people think about this moment. They think, well, when I stand before the Lord, I'm going to stand for Him for who I thought I was. For who I think I am. But you know the problem with that is? We always see ourselves in a different light. We always see ourselves as probably better than what we really are. That's why God sent me a wife to help me with that. The Holy Spirit. Why? Because there's some accountability. And so I won't stand before, before God because of who I believe that I am or who that I think I am. When I stand before Him, I will stand before Him as who I truly am. There will be no hiding. There will be no excuses. You know, so many times, and and really where the term that we came up with was no filter. How many of you are, are online, like Facebook, Instagram, all that kind of stuff? How many of you ever got, like, professional photographers to take pictures of you? And then you get them, and you're like, I don't look that good. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You're like, man... I had wrinkles, but I don't see no wrinkles in that picture. Why? Because they take it and they modify it. They change it. They enhance it. I was actually reading an article this week about a young girl who, I believe she was 16. If I am if remember, she was 15 or 16, I can't remember. Uh, but she had hundreds of thousands of followers. And one day she got frustrated and just said, I'm done. Now, she's making a living. When I say making a living, she's making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. She's six, 15, 16 years old off of her Instagram. How many, what? Some of you don't even know what Instagram is. You put your life out there in a picture and let people like it, comment on it, so forth, so on. And, this is, and so what she did, she got fed up with the whole thing. And so what she did, she started posting those same pictures, but with the truth. I took this picture 500 times. I was paid to take this picture. I I was paid by the person's pants I'm wearing, the shirt I'm wearing. I was paid, and it took three days to get this one picture. And then she'd show another one. These were all professionally taken pictures. Everybody thought she was taking with her cell phone. Because he has this just beautiful, perfect picture. Not realizing that there's a whole crew of people behind it making it happen. And she talked about how that it meant nothing. She's like, I looked perfect and beautiful. But yet you have no idea what it took to actually make that moment happen. And of course, she's posting these pictures all the time. So it looks like she has this most amazing life. And yet she said, all I wanted was a real friend. All All I really wanted was to be normal. I didn't like having to go do all these photo shoots and all this stuff just to try to keep up the fame and the, and the image. How many of us do that when it comes to our relationship with the Lord? I mean, it's Easter Sunday, you know, we get dressed up. I tucked in my shirt today, which is rare. And we, we play the part and we look like the happy family and we come to church and we act like we, our marriage is great and our kids are wonderful and our jobs are just amazing. And the problem is we're deceiving ourselves that we're not being honest. Number one with ourself. Here's the problem with this. If you're not honest with yourself, you can't be honest with God. And if you can't be honest with God... You don't get the power to change. So what happens? You become a frustrated person saying, I love God, but no change is happening. There's no reality. There's no substance to to this life that Jesus died to give us. And so my encouragement for you this morning is to take the filters off. Stop looking for that perfect situation, perfect scenario, perfect life, the perfect family. <clears throat> Whatever it may be. Remove those things. And be honest. <clears throat> be honest with yourself about even the condition of your own heart. With your struggles. Those those fears that you have. Those things that you don't want to tell other people about. I'm not telling you to go air your laundry out on Facebook. Please don't. Save yourself some sorrow. But what I am saying is, to be honest with yourself. Because in that moment, that's when you can go to Jesus like the criminal hanging on the cross and say, Jesus, I need you. I recognize that I deserve this. I deserve my consequence. But I need you to help me. So if we know that God knows everything and sees everything, then why do we try to hide it? Why do we try to mask it? We're like, well, we're fooling everybody else. We're doing so awesome. It's great. Everybody thinks my life's perfect. But on the inside, we know it's not. Even though we try to fool ourselves, we know in our heart that, hey, I'm not content and I'm not happy. And and there's things in my life. And I'm not saying that living for Jesus is all roses and lollipops and beautiful. And I'm going to walk through things. But this much I do know is I'm not alone. And I'm not left to myself to try to figure it out. I have a savior who wants to help me. Who wants to help you. But it won't happen as long as I'm hiding or denying. See, we can live in that place where we just deny what's going on in our own heart. Even though we know it. Even though we know it to be true. See, the Bible talks about it and says, you know, and the psalmist wrote and he says, Is there anything hidden from the Lord? Is there anything that he doesn't already know about us? I mean, the Bible says he knows how many hairs are sitting on your head right now. He knows how many you lost in the shower this morning. And for some of you, he knows the last time you lost the last one. Right? Some of you just got that. It took a second. It was like rolls of laughter. like A couple of waves. waves. Welcome to the party, by the way. No, see, the Lord knows us intimately. And the thing is is that Jesus didn't come so that we could halfway live this life in resurrection power. Jesus came that we could walk in the fullness of what that means. Now, I know we can use terms and they become churchy and it's, you know, resurrection power. What does that mean? The same power that raised Christ from the dead. So let me ask you this, are you dead this morning? Because even if you were, there's still enough power that would raise you up. And you may be dead in other parts of your life. You may be wounded in your heart, you may be wounded in your soul. And I have good news, is there is still resurrection power to bring that dead part of your life, that dead part of your heart, that dead part of your soul back to life. Is that we serve a redeeming God that restores and to brings and, and he brings back. That's the beauty of the gospel. He says, bring me the broken and I will repair. So we don't have to be worried that, well, at one time I got saved, but now I need to hide. One time I asked the Lord to help me, but now I'm trying to hide behind my struggle. Now I'm trying to just say, well, I, I'm going to manage and I'm going to learn to cope. Jesus didn't die so that you could cope with your problems. Jesus died so that you could have the power to overcome those issues. But it will not happen as long as we live this, in, in this place of denial. Or in this place of trying to hide. And, and I know that it's a vulnerable thing to say, Well, I'm going to just be honest and I'm going to ask the Lord. What do you have to lose? Freedom? Joy? Joy? Life, what are you holding on to? And why? Because there's actual reality to the words of Scripture. See, just as those two criminals were hanging, we see a, it's a perfect example. They both, grace and mercy, were there for. It was there for both of them all along. And yet one hardened his heart and one didn't. One humbled himself. James chapter 4, verse 6 in the Amplified Bible says this. says that God is opposed to the proud and the haughty, but He continually, that's a key word, He continually gives the gift of grace to the humble who turn away from self-righteousness. God will continually give the gift of grace to the humble. He opposes, he resists, he sets himself against the proud. But yet, if I'll come to God and acknowledge, man, this is where I'm at and this is what's going on in my life. This is, you know, and, and I'm not just talking because some of you may be here and you're like, well, I'm saved. You're not talking to me. No, I am. There's a lot of Christians who are self-righteous. They believe in Jesus. The problem is they've quit trusting in his righteousness and started trusting in their own righteousness. That's equally as dangerous. That's deception at at a great level. Well, I'm good. Even Jesus, who was perfect, when people said he was good, says, No, I'm not. He said, There's only one that's good. Jesus saying, could have said, You're right. I'm the spotless lamb. I'm the one, I'm, I'm the perfect sacrifice. All those Old Testament sheep and goats and all those, they were all pointing to me. You're right, I'm good. (laughs) And yet he even refused to give in to that and says, no, I'm a humble servant. There's only one that's good and that's my father. God continually gives the gift of grace to the humble who turn away from self-righteousness. One way that you could say that is to turn away from self-trust. I mean, I, you know, sometimes I, I've made the statement, I wonder if people think that, you know, uh, I don't know if, you, if I communicate it well, but to me, self-righteousness is the equal of self-trust. Like, I'm confident, I'll make it happen, I can fix it. I, I, I can handle this. I've got this. As long as nobody else knows what's really going on, I'm okay. But I'm not Okay. Because at the end of the day, it's me and Jesus. He's the only one that I'm going to give an account for my life to. And I don't want to come to him and be like, Jesus, did you check out my Facebook page? Did you check out my Instagram? And I had some good things going on. Did you see that one where I was preaching to all them people? It was awesome. Were you proud of me that day? He's not going to ask me about any of that. He's going to ask me about my heart. David, did you love me? Did you walk in fellowship with me? He's not going to care about the accolades. He's not going to care about all the stuff. He's not going to care about Jack. He's going to care about my heart. Because that's what he died for. Yes, he died that I could walk in newness of life. In this life, he died for for you. Yes. But he died for the heart. The heart of men. The Bible says that when we get saved, what happened is that we had a heart of stone. It was hardened. It was resistant to God. It was proud. It was arrogant. It was self-reliant, and yet when we got saved, the Bible says that we were given a heart of flesh. In other words, it was pliable. It was tender to the Lord. you ever eating a tough steak. Anybody like tough steak? How about a, like a real, like you know, tender steak that you don't even need a knife fork or a knife fork. For. Just take your fork. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about, but. Some people are just like, I don't care. we talking steak, I'm good. <laughs> that would be my wife. But no, I, I mean just in the same way, there's a tenderness that comes. There was a lot of preparation to make sure that that steak was tender and ready to be eaten. There's a lot of preparation. What about us? What about our own heart? And I'm not talking about, you know, some kind of weird. I mean the real you. I don't have to tell you who the real you is. You already know. These are the things that you lay in bed and think about and wonder about. And you say, I wonder if. I go, it's the person that you really are. It's, it's the things you think but don't say. It's those, you know, I mean, we all have them. Why didn't I say? I should have said. I should have done. Why did I do this? Why did I do that? Even regret and shame of the past. If you'll hold on to it, that's who you really are. And yet Jesus died for your shame and for your guilt and for your past. He came to redeem the past. To say, I'm going to take what was intended to destroy and I'm going to use it to build your life. And it's going to be beautiful in the end. But that requires us coming to the Lord honestly and humbly and saying, God, I I need you to help me. If we stay proud like the one criminal, we get nothing. As a matter of fact, we get the opposite of nothing. We get actually resistance from the Lord. But yet he says here that he would continually give the gift of grace. God will continually give the gift of grace, if what? If we're willing to receive it. If we're willing to walk with him and just say, God, I may not be perfect, but I... I want to be better. Perfect is unattainable. That's why Jesus had to come. Better is attainable. I will forever be in the process of being better. I never want to just say, okay, Lord, I'm good. I want to continually be in that place of saying, all right, God, I I want to grow. I want to be better. I want to be stronger. I want to be who you've called me to be. I want to be the husband, the father, the the man of God that that you have for me to be. But that requires humility to stay before the Lord. John the Baptist makes this statement and I'm just going to quote it. It comes out of John 3.30. It's right at the end. John the Baptist was the forerunner to Christ. He was the one, the Bible says that he would be a voice crying in the wilderness declaring the way of the Lord. So, in other words, he was a prophet. He was the one to come before the Messiah. And a lot of people thought he was the Messiah. And they would come and ask, are you, are you the Messiah? And he says, no, there's one coming that's even greater than me. He said, I'm not even worthy to even put his shoes on for him. And he makes a statement in John 3 verse 30 and says this. He says that I must decrease so that Christ, the Messiah, can increase. That's the key to a successful Life with the Lord. I, me, my desires, those things. And look, and you're like, well, I don't want to be different. No. When I become when I deny myself, I actually become more and more and more the person that I was actually designed by God Himself to be. The closer I walk with the Lord, the more my insecurities dissipate. Why? Because God didn't design me to have insecurities. Life has taught me insecurities. I wasn't designed to be bound with thoughts and depression. Jesus came so that what I could walk in freedom. See, in in my DNA I was encoded. You were encoded with a a reason and a life and a purpose. But as long as you're willing to, to accept those things into your life and just say, Well, this is just who I am. It's not who you were meant to be, though. Jesus came and he he is life, but he came to give us real life. that's That's why we celebrate today. It's more than a moment, it's a continual process that God is working in us and for us and in our hearts. For what? So that we can actually reflect his glory. That's the power of the gospel. He said, all I have to do is to be humble before the Lord. To not kind of whitewash over areas of my life. It's to just acknowledge it. God, I blew it today. Sometimes we ought to maybe adopt that prayer. And just acknowledge it. He knows it. <laughs> but yet there's something powerful that comes when I just own it. See, the criminal that that received grace on the cross, he owned his mess. But because he owned it, he got grace. He got the mercy of Jesus in that moment. The same is true for us today. You might be in a mess, but hey, this is where I am, Lord. I've messed up. I've gotten into a spot. Yes, but I need you to help me. I'm not looking to just get off of my cross. Like the other criminal. I'm not looking to just get out of my consequences like that guy. Lord, I want you to change me. I want you to redeem me. I want to experience that life that Christ experienced where, I, where I'm not trying to be better, but where you're making me better by your ability. I mean, I, I've tried to make myself better, it's frustrating. If you want to frustrate yourself, just convince yourself, I'm going to make myself better. Whew. It's exhausting. But you know what I found is that when I just say, Lord, I can't change me. But I believe you can. Right. And I'm going to ask you to help me. I'm going to ask you to walk with me and to empower me by your grace. So that I can receive all that you have for me. But it all starts from that place of honesty. Being honest with yourself so that you can be honest with the Lord. there's no reason to hide, there's no shame, there's no getting, you're like, but, but I, I'm ashamed. the Lord already knows, and he wants something better for you. He doesn't want what you've known as life to be your life. He wants it to be better. He wants those things of your past that, that you look at and they, and you just feel the sting of it. They could be years and years and sometimes even decades old, but yet there's still that hurt, there's still that pain. Jesus came to redeem that pain. He came so that what? That we could actually live in a healthy way. See, many times I don't think we actually talk about those things, especially in church. We hear it and we talk about that in a... More psychological standpoint. Like, oh, I need to go get some counseling. I have nothing against counseling. If you need counseling, you need counseling. That's my opinion. (laughs) I have nothing against it at all. But at the same time, what about just allowing God to be God? Don't fool yourself. Don't try to put yourself in a place to believe, man, I've got this. Why not just... Walk into the grace of God. Say, God, I need you. I need some help. And when we're honest, there is power. There is, I mean, you know, and many times, and for no other reason, probably the most prominent one that that I've seen in dealing with people over a number of years is that pride will hold them. What are people going to think? What are people going to say? Does it really matter? for years I lived in that place oh I can't do that what would people say what would people think on the other side of it I can tell you I'm really glad that I quit caring what people thought because I found freedom that I would have never found in that place and I've actually and the Lord has helped me to actually learn to start to live a more healthy life and I'm not talking about just in what I eat or those I mean in my heart Hey, I'm going to let go of those things. Just as Jesus did on the cross, I'm not going to hold on to unforgiveness. Somebody may have wronged me, but God, I'm going to put that in your hands. I'm not going to hold that against them any longer. I'm not not going to let those things, those areas of my life, dominate me. I, I choose to live as a forgiving person. I'm going to live in peace. I'm going to live in joy. There's power in that moment. And it all starts with some honesty. Coming before the Lord. Just as we've said. Taking all the filters off. I'm not looking for picture perfect pictures. I just want to be me. I just want to be honest before the Lord. But when we do that, there's amazing ability and power waiting for you in that moment. I want to ask you to stand up with me this morning.